Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, October 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Phil Bryant speaks out against impeachment-related proceedings in the U.S. House of Representatives. Then the U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development is in Mississippi touting opportunity zones. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, what's your favorite fair food? It may not be healthy, but it should at least be safe. Learn more. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's Republican governor says Democrats' attempts to unseat President Donald Trump will fail. The House is conducting an impeachment excuse me, an impeachment inquiry of the president following the revelation that he asked for the help of another country to investigate a political rival. Governor Phil Bryant tells our Desiree Frazier the matter is being mishandled. Well, I think it's a very dangerous precedent to be setting by Democratic leadership. If you look at what the Nancy Pelosi speaker has done, it said only a minority uh, will be able to make the decision as to whether or not it will move forward, not taking it to the entire House and letting everyone vote on it. These are very serious uh, efforts by the Democratic leadership to remove the president of the United States from office. Uh, This is uh, a coup, if you will, not only with the deep state, people who are now changing even the definition of what a whistleblower is just weeks before this unknown whistleblower came forward. So it is just another attempt. Uh, I think it will be another failed attempt by the Democratic leadership to undo uh, the election of 2016 where President Trump was elected by the people of America to serve. How do you feel about the transcript of the call? And, and how that transpired. I think a president has an opportunity to speak openly to other leaders of countries. Uh, I think if you look at the transcript, and I have, uh, it's, it, there's some broken meaning behind uh, what people are saying on, on now as reporting. We had one, Adam Schiff, reported totally opposite of what the transcript said. He actually made it up and then said it was a parody. Uh, I have no problem with the president of the United States talking to anyone about corruption. If there's corruption going on in the Ukraine and it's involving an American uh, member of uh, the, our government, certainly they need to investigate it. And as I appreciate it, the president said, you guys should investigate what's going on. But you don't think that the impeachment inquiry is the way to um, go about looking into this? No, absolutely not. I think if we're going to be fair, and the president's never been treated fairly, let's look at every call that President Obama's made. Let's look at every call that Joe Biden has made. Let's look at the calls that his 
son has made that was getting paid $50,000 a month uh, by some company in the Ukraine. No one's asking about that. I haven't seen him on television at one time that any reporters asked. This double standard is dangerous for America. The new media has decided that they're all in for the Democratic Party. They don't care anymore. Uh, the, the bloom is off of that rose. We know what they're doing, and it's very dangerous to have a, uh, a partisan press that is spending all of their time attacking the president of the United States. Thank you so much, Governor. Thank you. Governor Phil Bryant referenced a tweet from President Donald Trump that claimed federal whistleblower rules have been changed. Multiple news outlets, including The Washington Post and NBC News, confirmed the rules have not changed. We heard last week from two Mississippi congressmen on the subject, Republican Representative Stephen Palazzo and Democratic Representative Benny Thompson. You can find both of these conversations at mpbonline.org. Coming up, the U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development is in Mississippi touting Opportunity Zones. Hear from Secretary Ben Carson next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development is in Jackson to promote a program designed to spur economic development in low-income areas. Secretary Ben Carson says Opportunity Zones encourage investors to create businesses and develop affordable housing in distressed communities and receive tax incentives. The program provides tax incentives to investors to create businesses and affordable housing in distressed communities nationwide. Secretary Carson addressed a crowd of several hundred in downtown Jackson. Throughout the southeastern region of our country, many of the small rural communities, even the bigger cities, have faced some significant economic challenges over the last several years. The persistent lack of financial investments into these communities made some people feel like their hardships were falling on deaf ears. But I will tell you that, as the president said in his inaugural speech, the forgotten men and women of America will be forgotten no longer. The Opportunity Zone program is one of the manifestations of that. At HUD, we run on the principle that all Americans need to have the ability to succeed when given the opportunity. And we have a chance to create that opportunity for many people. Because the more people in our society who succeed, the stronger our society becomes. Secretary Ben Carson. Mississippi has 100 opportunity zones. Vicksburg Mayor George Flagg says his city was the first in the nation to use the program. He says last year a lumber mill was about to close, but they were able to find an investor willing to operate the business and 125 jobs were saved. Well, the one that we got now is the one that was created uh, the first in the nation because we was trying to save this sawmill that everybody's been talking about and we were able to get this investor and some other that had capital the gains and everything, was able to put it together and save 125 of the 158 jobs. What did those uh, tax credits do for the owner? Well, it, it allowed him to 
use this tax credit in lieu of cash dollar to do the deal. And then on top of that, we subsidized it by putting local money into it, too. We had state, local, and federal dollars into it, so it was a win-win for uh, state and local gov- local government. It's one of those things that I say, rarely you get the opportunity to create a public-private partnership that works so well. But the vehicle is the opportunity zone. And while I push them so well because they're in that urban area, they're in the inner center, they're in the blighted area of our community, our city, and uh, we need the most help. How do you get investors to come on board? Well, we have to continue to collaborate and network and make certain that they understand the financial structure of it and less risk of it. And once they find that they're coming on, I think they're coming now because this summit has done more good to educate the public on it. And as we continue to talk about it, I think it's going to open up doors for a lot of investment. Hopefully we can get into the professional league like football, basketball players, and those folks that actually want to be a part of helping uh, revitalize the inner cities of, of America. Have you been able to begin talks with other business people? Absolutely. We talk all the time. People call me all the time for information about the Opportunity Zone. Since we're the first one, and I refer them to the proper people. But the best thing to do is to come together with a team of local and state uh, stakeholders and put together a package. I think, they're becoming, I think they're becoming a reality around the country. Do you think Mississippi is going to be attractive to investors? Absolutely. We've got one in Vicksburg. We've got one coming. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, in fact, uh, I'm going to be a part of, of the next administration, I hope, to introduce what we ought to do as a state opportunity zone network so we have state incentive also. You mentioned affordable housing. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Well, what we're trying to do is to try to bring more affordable housing, moderate income housing, and that's what uh, the secretary is advocating here today and why he is here, so that we can utilize all those programs to strengthen the local community by providing more housing. Where are you at on that? Real good. We're in the process. It's a working process. You have to do your due diligence and some other things, and uh, when we get to that point, uh, we can make that announcement. Vicksburg Mayor George Flags. Scott Spivey is executive director of the Mississippi Home Corporation. His organization is involved in distributing Opportunity Zone grants for the state. He talks with our Desiree Frazier about how the housing side of the program works. So from where we sit at the Mississippi Home Corporation, the, the benefits are going to be it's an added resource uh, to provide affordable housing to the residents of the state. We are, all of the programs we administer, whether it's the low-income housing tax credit program or whether it's the home investment partnership or whether it's the uh, National Housing Trust Fund, are all oversubscribed. And what opportunity fund investment in affordable housing deals means is that there will be additional funding available because these deals become uh, more complex over time, they require additional resources to provide the wraparound services that are really the future of affordable housing. And so having a resource like an opportunity fund to bring in private investment and make the deals, uh, A, happen, and B, make them more financially secure so they can take continue to operate uh, for 15 to 30 years is going to make a big difference. When you talk about wraparound services, what are you referring to? 
Well, wraparound services to us, one of the things that we've been doing uh, at the Mississippi Home Corporation of late is asking developers who use our programs to develop affordable housing uh, for low-income Mississippians is provide services to the residents, whether that's working with a food pantry, whether that's working with um, uh, economic economic information, you know, how to budget money, parenting classes, uh, workforce development, all these kinds of things um, that could be a benefit to the residents. And I think that, you know, that's the opportunity. If we have a, a captive audience, so to speak, of residents, uh, we can provide those services, but those services cost money. And that increases the cost of doing that type of development. And again, that's back to where we need additional resources. How do you make it attractive for investors? Well, I think a lot of the investors are driven, um, the ones that are going to be interested in investing in affordable housing deals are going to be the investors that already have a heart for that kind of work. They already want, have announced their intention to invest in affordable housing, uh, and so that's going to be the the attraction. The other thing that's attractive about uh, affordable housing is that, A, there's a huge demand, right? We're, we're, We're constantly oversubscribed, like I was saying, and B... Uh, these are financially stable deals. It's not as risky as some other investments of businesses. Like, these deals will happen. And the nice thing about having opportunity funds invested as part of uh, the capital stack, so to speak, is that that's not the only money in the deal. You've got equity from tax credits. You have debt. You have grant dollars that have already gone in. So you've had a lot of oversight and a lot of uh, compliance and due diligence that's already been done by other parties, the people that are party to the transaction. And so adding the opportunity funds is less risky. As a nonprofit, what will be your role? We're the allocating agency for the state. And so one of the things that we did uh, this year was we created an opportunity zone special round for tax credits. The tax credits are awarded competitively every year, and we created a special round that it is um, we received about 12 applications, and we're going to make the awards next week. Uh, and what that should do is we should we'll, we'll be able to select deals. Developers applied and said we're going to be in opportunity zones, and we incentivize them with points to say. If you can get an opportunity fund to invest in your deal, you'll get additional points on your application and be more likely to be funded. And so our role is really providing the opportunity, forgive the, the phrasing, uh, for developers to attract that investment uh, and get those deals done and put on the ground. And hopefully within, uh, well, it has to be within two years of award, they'll be placed in service and will be cut in ribbons. Scott Spivey of the Mississippi Home Corporation with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, what's your favorite fair food? It may not be healthy, but it should at least be safe. Learn more after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. 
Would you speak on um, psoriasis? It's really an autoimmune disorder. Psoriasis is one that affects the skin and the skin layers in particular. And there's different types of psoriasis. There's psoriasis that just affects the skin. Uh, psoriasis that just affects the hair. There's different types. There's a guttate psoriasis. There's more plaque-like psoriasis. And then there's some psoriasis that can, uh, psoriform arthritis can go along with it. So it is, uh, particularly on the skin, very treatable with topical agents. So there's all kinds of different things from steroids uh, that topically that are made for psoriasis. There's some old-fashioned, but they work well, tar-based therapies that are a a thick uh, uh, lotion that you can put on there. Uh, but there's some other agents, too, that you can use. And even some medications by mouth sometimes have been used to treat psoriasis. And again, and they're just trying to treat that autoimmune component. The first step is making sure that your doctor knows what type of psoriasis it is and where it's limited. And then, uh, you know, primary care providers can do this. Sometimes I'll, you know, I have some patients with just uh, run-of-the-mill psoriasis that, that affects the skin or the hair. And we treat that. We monitor for other things. But um, there are different topical things you can put on there like lotions or creams. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Food inspectors with the Mississippi State Department of Health examine sinks, coolers, and other parts of a food truck at the state fairgrounds. The Mississippi State Fair opens today with its offerings of food, rides, and livestock displays. This year, there's even an ice skating rink. Indoors, of course. This morning, inspectors from the Mississippi State Department of Health are conducting any last-minute food inspections before tonight's 5 o'clock opening. The health department's Ann Hogue says food vendors face the same regulations as regular restaurants. She spoke with MPB's Ezra Wall. Well, they've got to be permitted first and foremost. And in order to be permitted, they have to have certain things in their food booth. They've got to have hot water. They've got to have a way to wash their hands with hot and cold water. They've got to have a three-compartment sink in order to wash dishes unless everything they're doing is disposable. And they've got to have refrigeration units if they're holding cold food. You've got to have warm units if they're holding hot food. They bring all of that, set it all up, and they come get us, and we go inspect. And we make sure that they have what they need. But more important than that, they know how to use what they have. They have to know that the hot food temperatures have to be held a certain temp, the cold food have to be held a certain way. And they have to know every time you touch something yucky or dirty or raw, you've got to wash your hands before you touch ready-to-eat food. Now, a lot of these people you see year after year. How many new vendors do you see on any given year? Not as many as you would think. Most people do this sort of as a side business. And they are a full-time business a lot of times. And we see the same people year after year after year. Yeah, a lot of these people are vendors who, who they, they travel all around the country, some of them, and go to state fairs, state fairs, state fair, or other kinds of fairs and, and events. Um, how many? Do you have any idea how many of these are, are local Mississippi vendors? I don't know exactly, but there are quite a few Mississippi vendors that are here. If somebody doesn't pass immediately, 
uh, a, a phase of the investigation. W- what has to happen? How long do they have to take corrective action? They're not able to open with the initial inspection until they are able to pass every aspect of it and show knowledge of all the things they need to know about. So if they can't get themselves together within a day or two, then the fair folks will, will make them leave because you can't have unpermitted booths on the fair. Okay, so that at that point, as to whether they can open, that's a decision for you. As to whether they have to leave the space, that's a decision for the fair. Pretty much. I mean, they can't. If they can't open, they can't make money. They're going to leave anyway. What happens if somebody comes upon a vendor who they see something going on there that they just don't think is is uh, the appropriate way things should be handled? First and foremost, if you see somebody anywhere doing something with food that you don't think is safe or that you think is not the way to do it, don't eat the food. Just just don't because you know that's the immediate stop for any foodborne illness if you want you need to then let the health department know so that we can go and see what's going on you need to be careful of to note where the booth is and all of that and you need to call 601-576-7689 and let them know what's going on at this booth be as specific as you can be now a lot of these rules are are not foreign concepts they're the same rules that restaurants have to follow every day in mississippi everything is exactly the same it's just on a smaller basis sometimes but at the state fair sometimes it's not sometimes you have pretty good sized booths i know this isn't official government work but do you have a favorite fair food i really don't eat at the fair very often (laughs) once a year i do and it's roasted corn for me i think that would be a good choice i think i would like that a whole lot and the biscuits i like the biscuits too yeah Ann Hogue with the Mississippi State Department of Health. Thank you. Thank you. Before we leave you, acclaimed guitarist and singer Taj Mahal is headlining a blues and gospel festival in Mississippi, and organizers say he chose the list of performers. The Mississippi John Hurt Homecoming Festival is October 5th and 6th in Carroll County. Hurt was born in Mississippi in 1893 and started playing guitar as a child. He worked on farms and for the railroad and had a brief recording career before the Depression. He became famous in folk music circles a few years before before he died in 1966. His granddaughter, Mary Frances Hurt Wright, is president of the foundation organizing the festival. She tells the Greenwood Commonwealth, Mahal was 19 when he met her grandfather at a folk music festival in Newport, Rhode Island. Hurt became a mentor teaching Mahal about the music business. Make me down Make me a pallet down soft and low make me a pallet on your floor thanks for listening to the mississippi edition podcast from mpb news and mpb think radio don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and if your app lets you leave a comment or review we really do appreciate it Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.